Merry Christmas, Joe. Ho, ho, ho. You look confused, Joe. No, I'm just thinking about that, that little situation there where you said Merry Christmas. Um, why did you say that? What do you mean, why did I say that? I said it because it's time to say Merry Christmas. As in, may your days be merry and bright and all your... No, I know, I know what Merry... We can interrupt each other on this. You know? Yeah? You don't have to leave a pause. <laughs> <laughs> um, we can interrupt each other if it's in the script. Um, I do know what Merry Christmas means, but I don't know what it means to be saying it right now in the moment. Because this is our self-indulgent annual Christmas episode. No, this isn't. It's not time to be self-indulgent and Christmassy yet. It's it's like barely the middle of November. We just just been having bonfire works fun. So why are you thinking or pretending to think that you think it's time? For a Christmas episode. Because we are a monthly podcast, and our last episode, an interview with Kat Rosenfield, all about satire and young adult fiction and her new thriller, No One Will Miss Her, has just dropped in November. So according to my maths, or math, as they would say over the pond, it must be our December episode. Ergo, it must be time for our annual self-indulgent Christmas episode. Well, that is very humorous, um, subverted form of logic, but well done for, for that particular conceit for opening <laughs> opening the episode but i can see where the confusion might be but it's not our normal november episode nor yet is it our december episode it's a little special mini bonus episode oh i see sorry i was confused i was being a ridiculous idiot well don't worry about this uh, it'd be christmas christmas soon enough but not yet that's a shame, though, because I was going to do a whole skit whereby I accidentally, but on purpose, revealed to all of our listeners what I really want for Christmas this year in a merciless bid to amass quantifiable presents for under my Christmas tree. Did you think that they were going to send you presents? Well, I thought some of our listeners might. Uh, <laughs> one or two of them are very close to me. <laughs> yeah, all right, OK. OK, um, well, you're not going to get the chance to do that. You'll have to tell them in person. That's not what the podcast is for. That's an egregious misuse of podcasting rules. No, I suppose you're right. Yep. so you just tell me it's quietly and then I'll tell everybody else what you want. OK, that's very kind of you and very good thinking. OK. OK, so... So do you want to whisper what yeah, you want yeah, for yeah. Christmas? So what do I want for Christmas? OK. It's a book. A book? <laughs> yeah. Can it be just any book? No, 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 specific book. Not a book. It's called Policing the Monstrous. <laughs> Essays on supernatural procedural drama. Why? Why do you want that? <laughs> because I've got a chapter in it. Okay. <laughs> and uh, they haven't, the, the publishers said that they were going to send out a complimentary copy, but they haven't. Okay. Um, but it, it's 50 pounds to buy. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel a bit stupid buying a book because I'm in it. Uh, yeah. ha- however, I've noticed on Amazon New and Used, it, it's £20. Right. Um, there's a limited number that are £20, but I, I feel foolish buying a book just <laughs> so I can see my own chapter in it. You'd be like, uh, you're like J.R. Hartley in the Yellow Pages advert. What's that? <laughs> um, it was a, a very old advert for, do you remember such a thing as the Yellow Pages? Yes. Yeah, where you could look up businesses and yes, course, directories yeah. and so on. Um, and there's the... This advert showed a sort of Werther's original type old man going around to um, lots of books. No, he's ringing the bookshops and saying, do you have a copy of Fly Fishing by J.R. Hartley? Right. And then um, 
no joy because it's old and it's out of print and they the booksellers sort of shake their heads and he walks away looking sad and like he wants a Werther's original um, and then he I think uses his yellow pages to because it, it, it's, it's the modern times to ring all of the bookshops and find uh. out in advance before he makes the trek there if they stock Fly Fishing by J.R. Hartley right. and then he gets there and he, he says, like, do you have a copy of Fly Fishing by J.R. Hartley? And they get it out and they give it to him. And then they, for some reason, maybe you had to write it on the receipt or something. They say, what name is it for? And he says, my name, it's Hartley. Uh, J.R. Hartley. Amazing. So, yeah, you're, you are essentially <laughs> J.R. Hartley. But you're, you're using your, because it, it's the modern times, instead of using yellow pages to find out where your book is, you know where it is and you're using the podcast to make people buy it for you well yeah okay. foiled I've been foiled yeah but uh, yeah there's an interesting essay in there about the X-Files and post-structuralism but I can't get my hands on it right okay uh, yeah and frustratingly the library did buy it yeah. here at here at my at the university where we work uh, but only as an e-book Oh, well, you can't sign an e-book, can you? You could go to the library and do a book well, signing. Just hold it and like, just put your e-signature on the e-book. Yeah. Yeah. So oh, sorry. I'm well, just, congratulations. Just to, to any listeners that feel yeah. like I am extorting them, please. I'm mean, just. Okay. I was just joking. You don't have to buy me that. I'll, no. uh, I'll just buy it myself. It's fine. Yeah. Okay. Um, should we say who we are, or do we not need to do that because it's a bonus episode? We do it very quickly. Okay. Yeah. So you are J.R. Hartley, senior <laughs> lecturer and writer of. Essays about the X Files. Yes, and fishing. Yeah. And you are uh, a bookseller. <laughs> the Yellow no. Pages. Yeah, I'm. My name is L O Pages. <laughs> yes. Anyway, well, I'm Dr. Joe Wall, senior lecturer in 19th century literature. And I'm Dr. Adam Smith, senior lecturer in 18th century literature. And this is our podcast. That's not the Christmas podcast. It's no, a bonus no. episode of the normal podcast. So. Shall we? We probably Which don't need called... to say the thing about a massive quadruple no, impact. It, the podcast is Smith and Walter. People know by now. You must know that if you listen. Yeah. Why? Um, why would you? Yeah. Any questions? Google is. So what? <laughs> yeah. What are we doing if we're not just making my Christmas presents happen? Um, yeah. Or even if we are. So regular listeners will know that in our most recent episode, we had a big chat with the novelist, podcaster, commentator, and now, as we um, I think argued in that episode, satirist Cat Rosenfield. Yes, and we talked about satire in the culture in the culture generally, as they say. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about satire in young adult fiction, and we talked about satire in her new novel. Yes. Um, and so, if you've been listening, as I say, and you should have been, um, you'll know that. But what you won't know is we talked about something else. As well and that is the thing that is the bad art friend scandal yeah so what happened is we knew that we wanted to talk to cat already because satire and comedy comes up so often in such interesting ways on the podcast feminine chaos which she ordinarily co-hosts with phoebe maltz bovey um, and because we'd seen in some of the preview material that cat's new novel had a satirical element and the early reviews were using language associated with satire so we, we, we wanted to talk about all of those things anyway but the thing that sort of tipped us over to actually reaching out was cat's involvement in covering the bad art friend scandal yes because when that story of the bad art friend scandal broke um who should pop up discussing it on various different podcasts it was indeed cat rosenfield so we sent cat an email uh, saying can we talk to you about the bad art friend scandal and can we talk to you about your new book and can we talk to you about satire and culture 
generally. And amazingly, she said that she'd be happy to talk to us. And by the time we actually got to speak to her, we'd listened to her novel all the way through and realised it was doing lots and lots of satirical work or so we thought, or and we wanted to talk to her about that. So we spoke about that and we spoke about YA fiction. And as a result, we didn't really have time in the podcast to include all of the bad art friend stuff that we'd actually chatted about or it would have been too long mm, yeah but we did talk to cat about bad art friend and it is really good stuff um and actually cap did prepare to speak to us specifically on that topic so we decided to repackage that segment of our conversation in this mini episode which you'll listen to right now so joe what what on earth is a bad art friend scandal? Who is it and what does it want? What is a bad art friend scandal? Um, yeah. Well, I, I only know one example yeah. of a bad art friend scandal and that's the bad art friend scandal. So let's just see if we can get the salient fact out mm. there. So for anybody who isn't already aware, this um, is a scandal that revolves around two main actors, actors in the drama, not they're not actors, actors, Dawn Dorland and Sonia Larson. Um, Dawn Dorland had made an altruistic kidney donation and had written about that on Facebook. She had a Facebook group about it to which she invited various other writers that she was friends or friend adjacent with. Yep. And Sonia Larson definitely fell, fell into the second category. Um, so one of the big things in Dawn Dorland's life was the, the kidney donation. She talks a lot about it and posted in the group a letter that she had sent as a donor to the recipient, um, which found its way into a story called The Kindest. Adam, take up the story. Yeah, so this is a short story called The Kindest, and it transpires that the altruistic kidney donor was well known in certain circles, because one of the things that she did that surprised people is that she would sign off her letters, instead of saying yours sincerely or yours faithfully or all best wishes, she'd signed off kindly. Mm. Um, so, and this was a, a bit of a running joke, I think, among these people who mm. who talked about to be out of bag. So, when the story is called the kindest, it's immediately aligning people in that coterie mm. with the idea yeah. of of this person. It's a dog whistle. It's a dog whistle. So, the story itself sees a woman, much like Dawn Dorland, Dawn Dorland, um, donating a kidney altruistically. But in the the story is told from the perspective of the person who receives the donation. Mm. Um, uh, who is it's basically on their deathbed and then and then is saved by this and is really happy, but then she's receives, a bit happy. A bit happy. Well, she's Muted. glad to not be dead. Yeah, um, she said people were nicer to her when she was dying. That's but, true. I mean, that's a side yeah. don't worry about it. But uh, she receives this letter uh, explaining who the donor was, why mm. she donated it. It's quite patron, quite patronising, quite over the top, and it, mm. and it, the implication as well is that the person not only donated a kidney but was a white person who wanted to donate a kidney to a non-white person. Well, certainly there's a dynamic in the story of the white person and the non-white person, and that is an element of the discomfort Mm. between them, isn't there? There's a sort of implication that she's a a kind of would-be white saviour. Yes, yeah. So eventually, the Dawn Dolan finds out that this story has not only been written, but has been circulated. Lots of people are talking about it. The the author doesn't tell her. She gets tipped off by another author who said, Mm. have you seen this short story? A mutual. A mutual. She investigates it, finds out it's a whole thing. The author even sort of acknowledged, didn't she? She said... Mm. uh, I I I hope you don't mind that your tremendous act of generosity has inspired... Mm. Yeah, which I don't think she meant 100% in a genuine way. Um, No, because it's very unflattering. Mm. Um, So anyway, this gets escalated into a legal matter... 
And it transpires that the letter featured in the story actually features verbatim quotations taken from Dawn Dolan's Facebook posts and yeah. I think an email. And from the letter that she sent, yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah. So it's explicitly about Dawn Dolan. And then what happens next? Uh, well, there's a whole question. I guess it, it raises conversations about what is and is not valid to use in a story. Like, where is it plagiarism to use stuff that's happened? Mm. No. Is it plagiarism to lift an entire letter that somebody else wrote and tweak a few words? That's where it gets a bit more complicated, isn't it? And and then there's also, I think, a related and not connected to kind of matters of the law set of themes around friendship and betrayal and being the, the kind of outsider member of a group and realising that everybody else has kind of been bitching about you and group chats and so on um, that that add some interest to mm. this narrative because yeah. it turns out really nobody the cool the cool girls didn't really like Dawn all along yeah um, and Sonia was sharing messages about like oh shit she's emailed me what am I going to say yeah including oh, with yeah. the author of Little Fires Everywhere yeah Celeste Eng yeah who said uh, fuck her in her kidney or something she? she can go fuck herself in her one kidney or something yeah, yeah. yeah. it's yeah, a I... good like quite a Sharp turn of phrase, but it's not very nice. A <laughs> biologically impossible, and yeah. uh, be quite mean. Yeah. yeah. So, as listeners can imagine, this this became a big big thing on social media and on the internet, and in commentary and in op eds and stuff, with people deciding who is the biggest victim here, who mm. is who has suffered the most, what's ethically appropriate to write about, um, and also the question of of race as well, because mm. one dynamic which I think Celeste and um, kind of pointed to was that this is a white woman, i.e. Dawn Dorland, is saying to an Asian-American woman, yeah. you can't have that, you can't have those words, your story is not yours to tell, etc. Yeah. So there is a question about, about race and who gets to speak in there as well, isn't yeah. there? And there's been a lot of coverage, I say a lot of commentary, and I've picked out four headlines, I think, that sort of tell mm-hmm. the story, because this has been going on for a few weeks now. So it starts with the New York Times running a piece called Who is the Bad Art Friend, which basically tells the story that we just told, but in more detail. Yeah. Um, And something else about this case is that because it's gone to court and all of the private messages and emails and stuff have all been subpoenaed, they're all part of the evidence, it's all available online to read, which I think is just... I am never going to get myself taken to court. No, but it's (laughs) just like another fascinating element of this. Yeah. Uh, is that it's sort of entertainment for a lot of people to be like yeah. reading all these messages especially things. between some people who are quite well known in their own right like yeah. you know seeing what the author of Little Fires Everywhere puts in a private message and so yeah. on yeah. so that's the story breaks and then a few weeks later you begin to get headlines like The Guardian did a, did a big piece called, and this is The Guardian's main response to it let's not kid ourselves we are all the bad art friends why are we? Because we all bitch about people behind their back, and we okay. all draw another. We all draw an inspiration from other people's lives. Yeah, um, I'm the bad art friend, and so is my wife. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the Atlantic doubled down on that with the harsh central truth at the heart of the bad art friend, which is which is an interesting article. And that's what, what is the harsh central truth? Uh, well, again, that we that people are ungenerous, but also mm. fascinated by other people and fascinated by. Well, I think a, a part of that one is that is the fact that what you know why is it such a big story? Because we all voyeuristically mm. want to see other people tear each other to shreds, and yeah, stuff like that. So, so they start to reflect on what it meant about the culture, and then the Independent just recently, uh, at the time of recording, had an article called "Was Hunter S. Thompson a bad art friend?" 
And basically, the suggestion is there was he basically taking from other people's real lives and putting them in a story? Yeah. And if you Google bad art friend today and do the news search, there's quite a few of was was so and so so and so bad. Well, I mean, it is what Royces do, isn't it? They take conversations and events and so on, but lifting something that was actually written down makes it all a bit more complicated, Mm. doesn't it? Yeah. What was the Daily Mail's headline? Oh, I haven't checked. Uh, was it Dawn Dolan flaunts her curves after drastic weight loss in the wake of bad art? <laughs> Probably was. What else do you think it might have been? Satirise the Daily Mail now. Uh, Daily Mail headline would be <laughs> immigrants steal our stories. Yeah, I was just going to say more like yeah, black people ungraciously steal our kidneys. I think the headline that I was looking forward to seeing is this wouldn't be a problem in the UK. Semicolon. Mm. We don't have such a thing. We don't have altruistic, altruistic kidney donation. Yeah, you just do tick we? a box on your driving license. That yeah. Says if I get smashed I a bit, so you can have my kidneys. Or you can do it for a family member if yeah. if needed. Can't or yeah. But you can't just kind of walk into a place and say, "Take my kidney." No. So it's a bit like Breaking Bad in that respect, isn't it? it could only happen in the US. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> um. So that's all very interesting. Yeah. But, you know, so far this sounds much more like a case for a different podcast. Something like Smith and War talk about legit things. Aha. Aha. But we're we're at the. We're at an interstitial point Ooh. here, aren't we? Uh, between things that are legit and things that are satire because there was a new take by Katie Waldman in The New Yorker um, who assessed, actually looked in kind of quite granular detail at the actual story as a piece of literary work rather than, you know, evidence. Um, and as part of her appraisal, she asked that question we love to hear, which is... Is it satire? And do you think it is? No. Why? And we're going to talk about this with Kat, that's the point. Yeah, well, I mean, looking at definitions of satire, as I have done a lot recently on the satire module I talked mm. about in the most recent episode, yeah. I mean, the, defi- the, most, the, I think the most useful definition... Yeah. <laughs> the most useful definition that I've come across for these kinds of matters is satire has to attack something it considers to be ridiculous or dangerous, mm-hmm. involve real-world particulars, so it has to, like, connect with something that's that's in the lived world like it's mm. it's um it's but to be prompted by something otherwise it's farce or fantasy or something else and involves some kind of exaggeration uh as as a mode of criticism so but all three of those also rely on there being a clear target and a, the target has to be attacked because people think it's ridiculous or dangerous so it's usually an idea or a policy or something like that yeah. some kind of ridiculous behavior that's da- um in this case I think you've got a lot of the components pot- potentially, but I don't think they're applied in a way that's satirical. So I don't know what the target would be of this satire, mm. other than Dawn Dolan. Yeah, that's um, the thing. It's not once you know she wrote the letter, it becomes not a kind of satirical commentary on a certain kind of woman, mm. or it it doesn't land in that way, even if it's meant to be. It becomes a critique of Dawn Dolan. Yes. Yeah. And something that I think is very similar to satire is to get technical for a moment invective mm. which is where which is an attack on an individual person yeah. for the pure purpose of destroying them so I don't that, think it's that either though is it no but I think it's closer to that so it's like Dawn Dorland it, it's ridiculing Dawn Dorland but it's not ridiculing there's nothing you can change it's not like Dawn Dorland could change to be a different person yeah I think it would have it seems to me that if things had gone the way they were intended to and Dawn hadn't had that moment of like Oh, I hear you've written a story. Do you want to tell me about that? I, the hopes for that story would be that it was a successful story, that it was well received and well reviewed, and that it, it 
landed um, in the ways it superficially seems to be intended to. But Sonia Larson and her friends would have a private extra smile behind their hands because they all know yeah. it's taking the piss out of Dawn Dorland. And that's not quite how satire works, is no. it? I think as well there's a, confu- there's a confusion between whether or not the target is as specific as altruistic kidney donation, in which case, mm. why would you ridicule that? Or yeah. virtue signalling, which is which I think Dawn Dolan is accused of doing yeah. via this Facebook page. So if it was the case that it was a satire on virtue signalling, then your real-life particular is people virtue signalling, it's ridiculous and dangerous and hypocritical. So that's mm. a valid satirical target. Your real-world particular is it happens, your exaggeration might be like, what if someone virtue signals so much they gave away a kidney? Yeah. That would be satire. But it all gets mixed up, and it seems too personal to Dawn Dorland, and it seems to be making fun of altruistic kidney donation, which it seems like the court of public opinion has determined is, doesn't yeah. warrant this level of ridicule. I mean, there's some, I heard someone say, like, if you're if you're the person who gave away the kidney, then you're not the worst person in this scenario because you've done a really good thing. Uh, I think that was said on the coverage of the story on Feminine Chaos. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Leading us nicely <laughs> towards uh, discussing this with Kat. Yes. As the internet's unofficial spokesperson on the bad art friend, or so so we're designating it for the purposes of this chat, um, and that's what we're going to play now. Excellent. Enjoy. Sounds great. I can talk about the bad art friend for the rest of my life every single day. It's such a rich story. I know, and it's so great when you talk to someone who hasn't yet heard of it as well. And like to be the person who recounts the story, I've really enjoyed on a few occasions. But <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's uh it is actually great to be able to introduce somebody to the whole like horrible giant landscape of the bad art friend. Um, especially because if they're not familiar with the communities in which it takes place, I feel like their minds are just blown, uh, you know, in every different way that this could have happened and that it could have consumed people so completely over the course of, I mean, it's been almost a month, I guess, or, yeah. I really wanted to talk about the the piece by Katie Waldman in The New Yorker. Have you seen this piece? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I read it uh, just yesterday before coming on. Oh, uh, cool. Because, and she says, she talks about the extent to which it could be read as satire and suggests that there's a, there's she suggests like a kind of alternate, story that could have been written that would have been really satirical and then ultimately says it doesn't work well enough as satire for that to be a justification. You know, in her response to um, Don Dorland's Facebook posts, there was the seed of a great satirical piece in which she actually unpacked why it made her so uncomfortable and so un- like angry that somebody had done this altruistic thing, you know, saved the life of a stranger. That clearly made uh, Sonia Larson, and apparently it actually it tends to make a lot of people quite uncomfortable because it makes them feel as though they don't measure up in some way. Well, I, you know, not only have I never sacrificed one of my vital organs to save a stranger's life, I don't want to do that, and I don't like the expectation that I should have to do that, and so I'm going to lash out against the person who did because how dare they make me feel like a a worse person, you know, how dare they make me feel inferior in this way. That would have been such a great vein to mine, but she didn't want to do that. She instead wanted to sort of make fun of Dorland. It was like she wanted to get her own back for having been made to feel less than by Dorland's altruistic act. And so she wrote this story where, I mean, it's just 
really self-evident and when you look at the conversations that were taking place around it that she was motivated by a desire to be cruel you know she was trying to sort of make herself feel better thinking about how satire works obviously we spend a lot of time looking at different definitions of satire and there's someone called Ashley Marshall who breaks it down into it's obviously skewing something that the author thinks to be ridiculous um, has to have some real world particular like for it to be satire it has to be about something in the real world but then it uses exaggeration to make that point so for example mm-hmm. if it was satire and virtue signaling then the exaggeration would be well what if you donated an organ to virtue signal and then that would work but it's not it's too specifically about this person's kidney isn't it and also i think because of that as you said it tips over it's not about virtue signaling or it's not about anything bigger it's about one person making fun of another person and i think that it sort of tips over into invective rather than satire so it's just it's an insult isn't it it's, it's basically a protracted insult yeah yeah i mean i think that you know in a in a way um and you know somebody who um not dorland larson showed her story to early on noted this you know this was really about trying to make dawn look bad when you know when she did look good or at least like she had done something good yeah i think if you if you started a story with i don't know some sort of benign but laughable white woman who's always making cringe making efforts to sort of make reparations for things or to patronizing efforts to help people and this escalates and escalates and escalates until she's like have my kidney have have a bit of me then that would kind of land more as as satire on a on a kind of person wouldn't it oh yeah yeah for sure i mean i think that you know there's something very interesting about the the way that performing virtue um and particularly performing kind of like activist virtue has taken hold you know the way that we are all under i mean maybe some of us more than others but you know we're under this a uh, certain amount of pressure to for instance post uh you know a black lives matter hashtag on social media you know to to put it in your stories and on instagram to make sure that people see that you're sort of down with the cause and you know, it is incredibly possible to imagine somebody's desire to do this and the validation they get for doing it to sort of spiral out of control where it goes beyond, you know, just wanting to fit in where they become sort of addicted to the dopamine rush of, you know, of being seen to do right uh, until they go so far that they donate a vital organ. But I mean, the sort of irony of that is that it's one of the rightest things you can do, but it, it makes people so uncomfortable that you don't end up getting the kind of approval that you're seeking. I now want to read the story of someone who like, first of all, they post the black square for Black Lives Matter and then they sort of Venmo money to people who don't want it or need it. And then it sort of escalates (laughs) to the point where they're scooping their organs out and handing them to people who don't need or want them. I think that'd be amazing. (laughs) Someone should write a collection of short stories that are inspired by the kindest, but actually do it it better. (laughs) That would be an amazing writing prompt. I hope that somebody does do that. Well, we just gave that to the world for free, didn't we? (laughs) The world. Yes, Yes. you're welcome. (laughs) 
I really enjoyed talking to Kat Rosenfield about the curious case of the bad art friend. So did I. And Kat was such a generous guest and so interesting to talk to. Yeah, and if you stumbled on this because maybe you were searching your podcast app for anything else to say about the bad art friend um, and you've heard this but you haven't heard our full interview with Kat, make sure you check that out because we really enjoyed that and we think you will too. Um, We talk about lots of things. Yeah, and if you're deciding what to get everyone for Christmas, get them all a copy of No One Will Miss Her because I think everyone will enjoy it. Yes, um, but should they buy that instead of buying your... X-Files book. Well, don't buy it for me because I already have it. Okay. Um, but the, yeah, buy it for, buy it for, for other people. Else. In fact, you right. buy it for me again. I'll have two and then I'll give have you one Have you got it in hard copy now? I've pre-ordered it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, just yeah, d- don't worry about the don't worry about the X-Files book. That's not a serious <laughs> suggestion. Nobody needs to buy that at all. No one will miss it. Is that everything? I think it is. I think that's everything, um, yeah. Yeah, so yes, listeners, we'll see We'll see you very soon for our actual Christmas episode. Well, you've put in the script, we won't see them, this is audio only, but that's not why we won't see them, is it? Because when you're podcasting, you don't get a screen full of all the people who are listening to it, do you? We were, Even if we were recording this in video, we wouldn't see the listeners. Yeah. They my, would see us. My late grandma used to complain about that when the people on the weather would say, and we'll see you later. All right, like, yeah. You won't see me. I'll see you, but you can't see me. Yeah. And, uh, it's like my mum uh, has a, a, a beef with... I don't think you see it anymore, but you know when people stand in Coney Street near Boots and they go, 10 for a pound, you gaslighters. 10 for a pound, you gaslighters. And uh, her objection to that was they're not her gaslighters. They're, they're, they're their gaslighters, and she doesn't want one. It'd be um, quite funny if someone said, turn for a pound, get your gaslighters, and then you tried to give them a pound, they were like, no, it was two pounds. You're like, you definitely said one pound. They are like, no, no, these gaslights were always two pounds. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing with the gaslighters. They're ten a penny or ten a pound, don't they? Yeah. Um, gosh, what a little... I think the uh, thing- <laughs> digression that was I think the thing is if you say talk at you real soon which is I'll what talk we're at you real doing, soon it doesn't have quite the same ring to it as see you next time does yeah, it that, we'll, we'll say see you next time in a minute uh, yes whatever we whatever it is we do to our listeners yes. which isn't seeing them uh, we'll be doing it again soon but for now um, thanks again to Kat thanks for everyone for listening um, and sit up see you next time shut up and eat my satire bye bye